Hello, YouTube. And today I'm joined by Dom from the Go. Well, give me a hurry, yeah. That's right. That's right. Cheers. Oh, oh sorry. Give me a whole yeah. Give me a whole yeah. Nick, close enough. Close enough, Anthony. Thank you very much for the introduction. Um, I should I should get you to film an intro for us. <laughs> I appreciate it. You don't you don't want me filming intro. I'm probably I'm probably the worst person at intros. Mate, you're much more positive than me when we're doing it at one o'clock in the morning for a Monday night roar. I'll tell you that for nothing. I I I think I think sometimes people that do live streams for raw every single week. Have to be, have to be. I, I'm really optimistic, really optimistic. We'll yeah. have to, we'll have to be so sad. Absolutely, I, I like to think I'm a little bit of a cross of both. I'm really sad, but also uh, foolishly optimistic. I think uh, to do Raws, we 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 were doing them weekly at the start of the pandemic, and then we sort of decided to sort of tail off because it just gets too much, especially if you're in the UK. As you know, it, it, it's too much to do, you know. We will get, we will get onto that in a bit. But first, I want to speak about you and your journey. So when I was doing research for our interview, I, I watched the interview you did with Tom Tall Rubbish. Oh, yeah, Tom's great, yeah. Tom's yeah. a lot. I would say he's a personal friend, a personal friend of the channel. Yeah. And, and, and in that interview, you said up, up, up until the age of 16, you were in a wheelchair. So, yeah, that's right. So as, as, somebody that, as somebody that's constantly in a wheelchair, how did you, how did you find that? It's interesting, man. I mean, for me, I think um, it was very difficult, a lot of pain. Obviously, there's still a degree of pain that I deal with on a daily basis. But I think that once I realized through extensive physiotherapy and like the operations that I'd had when I was younger that I could um, stand up and you because I use uh, two sticks now all, yeah. all times. Um once I realised I could do that, then I then I really pushed myself to do that. But it does uh, it does get quite tiring in the wheelchair. I remember things being. I, I got pushed around a lot in my younger days. You know, I used to I used to be able to relax in my chair quite a bit. But then I also did a lot of pushing around myself. It was it was a different time. It was a different time. Um, a lot of a lot of pain. You know, a lot of operations. A lot of um, a lot of like procedures and stuff so I sort of look back at that period of time as kind of like a different life you know I remember it was the day of my A-levels that I actually stood up and decided not to go back into the wheelchair full-time so I would have been 16 and um, yeah I, I've just never really gone back except for the time I did a 10k and my and my mum came along I did like a 10k for Jane Tomlinson in York and my mum came along and bought this tiny wheelchair that I had when I was like a teenager back uh, and made me sit in it to have a rest after I did the 10k but that is the only time since the age of 16 that I've been in a chair um, but yeah it was an interesting time man a different time in my life very very different uh, you know just being kind of looked after a lot you know hospitals things like that uh, and that's obviously like very different to what to the way my life is now um, 
fortunately enough, you know, being able to live, um, you know, independently and and have, you know, and travel and things like that. So yeah, it was it was a challenge for sure. But I was lucky enough, you know, there are other people, of course, that aren't lucky enough to. Uh, you know they they excel in the chair and they do some incredible work and they and they and the chair is is a part of their life but it doesn't define them and and for me because I could get up and out of the chair and I had the privilege to be able to do that you know once I'd had my physiotherapy and once I discovered that you know I could uh, walk around um, you know albeit in a little bit of pain you know I realised that that I that I that I could do that you know what I mean so I so I decided to to quit the chair quit the chair full time from 16 and I've never looked back. Um, but that's very much because I am able to do that. And I'm lucky enough to be able to do that, you know? So, so what, so what is, so what is your disability? Cerebral palsy. Cerebral palsy. If you don't mind me asking, do you know what type of cerebral palsy is? It's, um, it's, it's not the, it's not the higher, it's not the higher kind of level uh, Scott, I, I guess it's kind of mild for me. I've got um, joint pain, uh, consistent joint pain uh, all day, every day. Um, tight tightness of nerves. Um, there's so many different symptoms. I mean, what what I'll do next time we have a conversation, I'll get a list together, man. But there's a there's a bunch of different stuff. Um, for me, I'm quite lucky enough, but because of the physiotherapy I've had, and because of the uh, the exercises I do every day. I'm able to keep a degree of movement. Um, but if I did sort of, you know, if I spent too much time in the wrestling kitchen and spent too much time doing the podcast, sat in my chair, uh, I'd probably seize up and, and not be able to get back up again. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I know, exactly what, I know exactly what you mean. When you come, because I, I have terrible body as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm my type of cerebral body is plastic. Quadriplegic cerebral palsy. Yeah, that sounds. Yeah, spastic diaplegia is, is yeah. how I was diagnosed. Yeah. So, so as, as we've already mentioned, uh, up until the age of sixteen, you you were in a wheelchair. Yeah. So, so did you develop natural laziness? <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think so, Anthony. Yeah, I think I did, man. Um, you know, it's interesting, you know, you, you using the phrase you were diagnosed with kind of trigger stuff in me, you know what I mean? I was very lucky, even though I had this diagnosis, the spastic diaplegia, and even though a lot of people told me I wasn't going to do, you know, I was told all the things you get told when, you know, especially because I grew up in the, you know, I was a young, you know, I was a baby in the 80s. So I was told, you know, you're not going to be able to do anything. You're not going to be able to have a girlfriend. You're not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able to do that. Um, and so I think for the first part of my life, being told all of those things, I kind of fed into it. You know what I mean? Like I got used to being looked after, you know, even I was in a lot of pain all the time. So I got used to being looked after. Yeah. So I definitely, definitely got lazy for a long period of time. But that was because I have a very supportive, a very loving family around me and good people, um, you know, around me to support me. But I think, yeah, for the first period of my life, when I was dealing with all the kind of pain, and getting used to it, um, yeah, I, I definitely got very lazy, man. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I personally know how it feels when they when they say when they say to your family is not going to be able to do stuff because they said to me I would never 
Yeah, you probably communicate. Yeah. And one day I just started speaking. So sometimes they can die, they can say stuff, and then you can, by some miracle, you can just overcome it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been watching your content for a long time, man. You know, I find what you do, uh, you know, to be very motivational. And I think at the end of the day, you know, you've, you've done, you know, in the same way that, you know, when people said to me, you're not going to be able to do this, you're not going to be able to travel here, you're not going to be able to have a life. You know, I've been able to do those things. And I see the same thing in you. You know, I see what you do with your channel, all the people that watch it and all the people that engage with you. And I see you, you know, as, as, a, as a motivational person, you know, for people with disabilities, people with cerebral palsy like myself, um, you know, it's a very, you know, you're, what you've been able to do, mate, without trying to sort of, you know, without putting you on a pedestal. I know you, you know, you probably get told that stuff all the time, but, um, you know, I think you do some amazing work, mate. I love, I love the interviews you do. So it's an honour for me, mate. It's an honour for me to be sat in the, sat in the wrestling kitchen with you on a Sunday afternoon talking about uh, talking about me because for me you know I think you I think what you do is awesome thank you mate I really appreciate that no problem no worries man this, this is a bit of a this is a bit of a deep one do you think do you think society has gotten better about disabilities or not really I, yeah I think that's a really good question man I think um I think it has in recent times, especially, I mean, we're seeing, you know, um, we're seeing the Paralympics front and centre on television. We see presenters now, television presenters. Uh, we see uh, a lot more disability now in our faces on TV, uh, in the media in general. And so I think that, yeah, over the 90s and early 2000s, we saw much more diversity, you know, become championed. And now, of course, in an age where, um, gender neutrality is being championed and, and, and people can be who they want to be, you know, in every way they possibly can think of, people can be the person they want to be now. And I think that's great. I think certainly when, when I was growing up, I think I'm a lot older than you. Um, when I was growing up, there wasn't that, you know, and we had to really, you know, as I'm sure you have had to fight, you know, I've had to have conversations with, with everybody from, you know, tutors to girls to everything. I've had to fight my corner and say, you know, I, I can, I can do, I can do anything I want. You know, in the in the sort of nineties, particularly, you know, and, and even in the early two thousands, you know, there was still that there was still that element of I'm going to say discrimination. Hopefully, it doesn't sound too harsh. There was that element, but I think, you know, certainly in the last five ten years specifically, and I don't know what your experience of this is, Anthony. Certainly in the last five, 10 years, I think things have become a lot better, a lot more diversity is being championed now. Yeah, I, I, I would definitely agree that, but I do think sometimes these big, these big, these big corporations can, can take advantage of yeah. it. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. That's a good point, you know. I, like for example, for example with the Paralympics, yeah, there's a lot of controversy. There's a lot of controversy about some of the athletes' severity levels in comparison to other people. Mm -hmm. And and should they be competing with? Should they be competing together? Because they have different severity levels. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting point you make. You know, I, 
I, I think the intention is for it to be all inclusive of different types of disabilities, but I see what you're saying because obviously, you know, there are people in there with different levels, different, different ability levels, for example. So I think, yeah, maybe, maybe more in future years, maybe more research can be done and more can be taken from that. I like, for, like, for example, me and you, but me and you both have cerebral palsy, but that could, does that mean we should be competing against you? You would know, because obviously right. you can walk, and I can't. Absolutely, absolutely, mate. Well, I, I tell, I tell you what. Like I say, your enthusiasm. I wish I could, <laughs> I wish I could take your enthusiasm and inject it into what we do on the podcast. You're a, you're definitely a better podcast host than me, mate, for sure. But I, a hundred percent, I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. There's there, it's about working. I think it's about working collaboratively, working together as best as possible. And I think that maybe some of these people putting together the Paralympics don't have that experience yet. So hopefully... As time goes along, hopefully there are more people with more experience with these with these certain disabilities to give them better advice so they can have better overall look. And sometimes it doesn't look quite bad when you see somebody come being against somebody in there more physically able. Yeah, yeah. I, I, but I think, like you, like you know, I think it's about the experience, isn't it? You know, I think, I think hopefully this will teach these people. You know, and the controversy that you're mentioning. Hopefully, that will teach these people to be a bit more aware in the future. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. I think like what you do on YouTube makes people more aware of what people are capable of in terms of hosting YouTube channels, for example. And the same thing with the same thing with the Paralympics. You know, it has to be shown to people. They have to experience it. I don't know. I always use the phrase like when when people uh, growing up, when people used to say to me, why do people shout at you in the street or why do people take the mick out of you? Why do people make jokes, etc., about the way I walk or anything like that? Um, you know, I used to say, well, people are afraid of what they don't understand. Right. So yeah. I think I think that if you can, if 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 more people see the Paralympics, more the more people see that stuff on the TV, the more they're going to be aware of it, the more they can learn and the more the people in charge can learn about how to put these things together. I don't know if you agree with that. I I I I understand what you mean, but I can only speak for my, I can only speak for myself. Yeah. I, I find it difficult to watch it when I when I can see certain events on certain events aren't really fair to certain athletes mm, because yeah. they're competing against. Yeah. But I but I guess people can say look at look at certain athletes of the past. We've had certain Paralympic athletes that have been so good. They've competed they've competed. I hate to use this word, but the, but the ordinary Olympics not able. Oh, you know what I mean? So it all depends. Yeah, it all depends, doesn't it? It all depends, I think. So maybe so maybe I have one more question about cerebral forms and then we move on. Of of course. So, so when you went to school, I assume that I, I would assume that you went. I'm thinking to say, what, what type of school did you go to? 
I went to, yeah. so I went to, I went to a special school at first, a special school, quote unquote, as we used to call them, uh, called Frederick Holmes, who still do, they still do amazing work with people with uh, disabilities or differences, as I've come to call, uh, come to call disabilities. I tend to call them differences these days. Um, but yeah, so I went, to, and then I went to a state school after that uh, called Beverly Grammar. Um, and we and yeah, it was, it was it was an all boys school. So you can imagine what that was like, um, you know, kind of having to, you know, who who the toughest was, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so that was interesting. So I went from the, the special school um, and to Bev Grammar. I, I, I did. I, I tried. I, I tried a uh, there, was, there was a really nice school that I went to in between called Lindhurst, but I wasn't uh, clever enough. My maths wasn't good enough and science wasn't good enough to stay there. Uh, so I'm still ter- I'm still terrible at maths and science, um, but yeah. So uh, but but it was good. Beverly Grammar, which is in East Yorkshire, where I'm currently based. Uh, fortunately, I've been able to move around quite a bit, but then I've come back to East Yorkshire. Um, it was a little, it was a good school, but you know, like 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 exactly like I bet your memories are of school. A lot of tough, you know, a lot of tough stuff because it was different, you know. Whereas now I think this diversity and difference is championed in schools and in colleges, whatever. When I was in school, it was like, uh, you know, the same stuff I was told, the same stuff I was told by doctors. You know, you can't do this, you can't do that, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. So I kind of had to grow and develop myself in that environment, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, 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 I probably was the last generation where they had top where they had top and bottom sets if you know what I mean oh yeah I was there I was there yeah I was in the bottom sets man yeah yeah even though they, even though they never used to call them that you could you could tell you could tell oh they did they said bottom sets to me and top sets they said that to me when I was in school you're in the bottom set Dom <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was different in my school, but they were very blatant about about it when we when I was younger. Yeah, <laughs> it's weird looking back on it now. Actually, it's weird to looking be, back on it with you. To be honest, knowing my knowing how I am, yeah, I would. I prob, I'm probably happy I was in the bottom set rather than the top set. Because my problem is I get really, I get really stressed out about things, and yeah. I think moving in the top set would have. Stress me out a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're saying like you, your experience in the sort of lower sets, we'll call them, gave you a bit of time to, you know, kind of think about what you had to do. You didn't get too stressed out, kind of thing. Yeah, and because with all due respect, with all due respect to my classmates, I would say I was one of the top ones in the bottom set. Yeah. So it, so it gave me a bit of confidence as, as well. Rather than trying to compete with everybody in the top set, that was, so sometimes being in like the bottom set is not a bad thing. No. no, it teaches you more. It teaches you. I think it gives you character, Anthony. I think it gives you character a lot. You know what I mean? You learn. You learn a lot because you have to work harder. You know what I mean? Not yeah. many people. I don't know about you, but nobody had very many expectations of me. So I had to like beat everybody's expectations and like push myself quite a lot. I'm sure you've had to do that through your life as well. Kind of shatter people's expectations. Yeah. Like, what, what do you think? What do you think like, like what do you think like universities and qualifications 
because obviously, obviously for certain people, they are important for, but I just think a lot of the people want to end all in life. Yeah, it's experience, man. I'll tell you that for nothing. I, I've got a master's degree and I'll tell you nothing. I'll tell you for nothing right now, Anthony. Doesn't mean anything. Uh, so I work in, so I work in media. I work in journalism uh, for my day job. And the, the jobs that I have, the jobs that I've gotten, uh, including running Soundsphere magazine, that's all because of the experience of, of working with people, like chatting like I'm chatting to you. I've got more jobs out of chatting to people like I talk to you. Um, sorry, my camera's actually <laughs> here. <laughs> so yeah, like how I talk to you, like um, than I have with my qualifications. Nobody ever asked me, right, uh, how my qualification, what my qualifications are. Nobody, nobody cares. Nobody gives a flying f word. Uh, I don't know if I could swear on here, but but, people, you but just uh, you know, for the, if you want to, you can. If you don't want to, then you don't have to. Of course, I'll try. I'll try and censor myself for you, man. But 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 yeah, it's a real problem because people people spend thousands of pounds on university and all this stuff. And at the end of the day, the biggest thing I've learned, right? And I'm sure you've had this with the opportunities you've made for yourself. Yeah. The best thing you can do is have the experience. The best thing you can do is talk to people. You're going to get more jobs out of talking to people, sitting down with them one-on-one -on -one, than you are going, oh, I've got a degree, I've got a master's, whatever. That's in my experience. I'm only one dude, right? But like, I think that um, it's about experience rather than qualification. And I've spent the money and I've done all that and I've got the grants and all this stuff, right? but it doesn't mean anything. It's all about the person you are. It's all about the kind of person you are, in my experience anyway. I don't know how, how you feel about that. Yeah, I, I always say, yeah, I always say, yeah, when it comes to like degrees, obviously it's cool to, it, it's cool to have, but at the end of the day, who gives the fuck? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Nobody, nobody gets, I think in academia, right, if you were going to go into education, if you were going to teach, right, if you were going to teach, if you were going to teach, yeah. I know, what, whatever you would want to teach, we'll call it, uh, you know, if you were going to go into an English language and literature teaching qualification, right, yeah. you would probably need a degree of some sort, right? But unless you're going to go to a university, unless you're going to work for a uni or a college or a school, right, nobody gives a fuck. Like you said, nobody cares because everything outside of that, right, outside in the real world, quote unquote, it's about who you are as a person, whether you're a dick, or whether you're a good person, right? Because people can, you know, pe people people feel that stuff. You know, you seem like a genuine dude. You seem like a genuine guy. You conduct yourself well. You talk to people. You reach out. You're nice. You're not a dickhead. You know, certainly in my experience of you, you're a nice dude, you know? And I think that's what counts. That's what matters. That's why you've got 2,000 plus subscribers, man. That's why you're where you are. Because you're not a dickhead, <laughs> you know? And because... You know, you haven't got a degree. Like you didn't, you didn't get a degree to do that. You didn't get a degree I, to go to, to be a successful YouTuber, did you? You know, I, well here you are. I did. I didn't. I didn't even finish sit form because of how reasons. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You made. I think. Think you're as far as I can gather. You've made life work for yourself. You've made life work for yourself in the situation you're in you know, in the space you're in. And I think that's really impressive, man, because, like, you can't... Uh, as um, 
don't know if you remember the the uh, big cast and Enzo Amore. You can't teach that. You can't teach that. Do you know what I mean? There you go. Yeah. You can't teach how to have 2K, you know, 2,000 plus subscribers on YouTube. That's just you. That's because you're a good person with a good heart and someone that believes yeah. in what they're doing. You know, you can't teach that, you know. Yeah. 2K plus subscribers on YouTube, you can't teach that, you know. This is the last thing I'm going to say here. When I speak to my mates that do have degrees, one of them had a degree in music, yeah. yeah. And, that, and nowadays, his it, it, job is not even in music, so he can spend all that time studying for something, mm -hmm. and then he cannot end up. And also, he, he said to me, yeah, he's learned more since he left uni. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely, that's exactly... You've nailed it, man. You've nailed it. Your, your life experience, right? The what, what you do, doing your interviews and doing your content gives you more character, more experience of dealing with different people than if you had a pa bit of paper. And you could flash that bit of paper onto your screen, onto YouTube, for example, right? And people would be like, what are you doing, Anthony? I don't care about the paper you're flashing at me. I care about you. I care about what, you, what content you're bringing us. Do you know what I mean? That's your example. Yeah. You know, that's what I think. That's what I think you're saying, anyway. It's about the experience. Isn't it? Yeah. See, moving on from that, you you just you, you just said you work for you work for. I can't say the name. I'll try. I'll try my best. It's okay. Sound. Sound. But, so sound. 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 Be a magazine. Yeah. 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 It's. Uh, so. It's, I, so first of all, what is it? Allowed did you get started there? Right. Okay. So it's an it's an alternative music and arts publication specific to the north of England. Okay. So we do like we work with young people and we train young people from disadvantaged backgrounds. Um, so currently I'm based in Hull. I used to be based in Manchester. Um, I've been based in York as well. And what we do is we work with universities, colleges, and schools. Uh, and people that can't afford to move to London. So in journalism, in the media, in the magazine industry, like 80% of the industry is in London and down south, right? Yeah. So, so but if you've, got, if you've got a young person, right, or somebody who, whatever age, right, the way to break into the industry is to do, you know, six to 12 months for free, right? You've got to do a six to 12 months internship at a magazine in London, down south, just to get your foot in the door, right? So you got to work, you know, you got to find somewhere to live. You got to, all that stuff, and you got to basically work for free until you start getting paid. It usually takes about six to twelve months to do that, right? Now, half of my family live down south, half of them live in London. So I was able to stay when I did my six to twelve months in London. I was able to stay with them and build my portfolio. I used to work for Rock Sound magazine. I used to work for Metal Hammer. I used to work for T Three, the Gadget magazine, stuff like that. I did my internships and work placements there. Enemy uh, was another one. Now, I was able to do that because I had family that lived down south, right? But there's a lot of young people up north from areas that I'm in, like in Hull. A lot, you know, there's not a lot of money floating around in these areas, right? So for, for, for to, you know, grants and things for young people. So what we do is we, because of my training, because I'm a trained journalist, I understand, you know, I've, I've, I've done my, my qualification in that. What I do is I train young people who don't have the access to that money and funding and support 
uh, and I give them the opportunities to go and do uh, to go and work in journalism through SoundSphere. So SoundSphere, you know, we interview like global bands and artists across like alternative rock music, indie music, heavy metal, some electronic stuff. And what what I do is I arrange those interviews and then I I teach young people. So we're talking like usually 16 and up, but mostly university age, so 18 to 21. Um, and we train them to do interviews. We train them to do the work in journalism from their home, from their, you know, from their bed, wherever they want to do it. Like you could do it if you wanted, you know what I mean? I, you know, anybody, anybody could do to, could do it. And the idea is that they build their experience level with us, right? So they work and they build their experience level and then they go on to, to, to do whatever else. So we've had writers go on to the Independent on Sunday newspaper. We've had writers go on to the Guardian newspaper. We've had people go on to like uh, music magazines in America, for example, and they might be from like Scunthorpe, you know what I mean? They might be from Scunthorpe or they might be from, I don't know, Chester or something like that. They, and, and the idea is that we will provide those opportunities. I've been doing it for about, I've been doing it for about 10 plus years. Um, and only over the pandemic, I started working with WWE. We started doing wrestling interviews. So now we do that as well. And we train young people on how to interview like sports entertainment stars stuff like that um and on it and it's not very you know it's uh, it doesn't you know you can do it from anywhere man most of the work i do is i do it in my kitchen you know what i mean where we are right now we're in the wrestling kitchen you know like and most of the interviews i interviewed you know drew mcintyre in this kitchen and then i trained somebody else you know i worked with another young person who interviewed seamus in their house you know what i mean and then we've interviewed like rock stars you know and bands and you know those people have done it from their house their bedroom wherever and then they can go and if they go to a job interview or anything like that, they can say, I've interviewed this person, I've interviewed this person, you know, I've worked in the industry, you know, and that's what SoundSphere does. That's the that's the very, very long pitch for SoundSphere magazine. That's what we do. So I wanna I wanna pick up I wanna pick up on something like you said. Do you know you said do you know you said you claim you claim people out to interview yeah. I find that a bit weird here yeah, because you can you can say to somebody this is the right way to do it but for them, but for them it, not, it might not be the right way. It's more research it's a good point you make a very good question very good point you make it's more research it's more training on uh, what questions you know that might be good to ask I never direct people I never sort of say ask this question ask this question I'm like do half an hour's worth of research minimum for example, for every interview I do, right, I do 30 minutes worth of research, right, I'll, I'll look at different interviews that they've done, and I'll ask different questions, and I'll sort of suggest, I will never direct, because, you you know, directing is not necessarily the right way to go, but I might suggest, ah, oh, uh, have a look at this interview this this person did, like, half an hour, you know, uh, uh, maybe three or four days ago, you know, maybe try and think of some questions that are different to that, and that'll be my direction, you know, that'll be my suggestion, rather. I won't necessarily say to them, do it this way, because I don't think that's appropriate. So when I say training and development, it's also uh, it's also around like things like, so I'm trained by the NTCJ, which is the National Council for the Training of Journalists. And they do like grammar and uh, spelling and things like that, and specific qualifications, uh, things like that. So it's more being aware of stuff like that and, and qualifications and, and things that are available to young people if they get more experience you know does that does that make sense yeah that makes a, that makes a lot of sense i i did suspect that's what you meant but obviously i would need to clarify yeah no good good 
good point. Yeah, absolutely. Good question. Good question. When, when, I, when I'm doing my research, yeah, sometimes, sometimes I'll, I'll watch an interview or listen to an interview. I, I'll find that I'll find something out and then I'll ask a question. I don't like when I follow up question. But, you know, I said, oh, I want you to interview with Tom Talk Rubbish. And he said, you win the wheelchair until you were 16. And then I said, basically, wait, did you, did you develop a lazy mindset? That's what I like to do. I like to find that information and then twist. Yeah, 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 change yeah. the question. Yeah. Yeah. So I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, that's that's it, man. That's it. You know, that's good. You know, that's good journalism. You know, it's not always it's, it's it's about picking picking up on what things you know people say, and it just goes to show you're a very good listener because you can pick out different parts of the conversation and go, oh well, actually, so you said this, but what can you clarify on that? And that's a good skill. You see, there you go. That's a good skill that is really useful, and people people really value that. Like 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 bands and artists musicians everybody wrestlers they remember that stuff you know this is why you know why you're such an effective interviewer and why you have the people that watch the channel that you do is because you're effective and you're good at it and that's what people remember that people remember quality stuff like that i appreciate that so do you know do you know people like chris bandley for example yeah obviously he's one of the biggest interviewers in the wrestling journalism space, if you want to call it that. So, what, so for you, why do you think he stands out to people so much? He's genuine, very genuine. I mean, he was the very first interview we did. So, we started doing wrestling stuff in the pandemic. Um, and so, the very, you know, so very early on, you know, as soon as I knew what Zoom was, for example, I started, you know, contacting wrestling individuals. And Chris Van Vliet was the very first interview I ever did in wrestling. And I was super nervous, man, more nervous than I am normally when I do interviews. And like, he, he's just very genuine. He's very genuine. He's very good at eye contact. You don't have to be with him in the same room. You know, he's very good at leveling with you and just being with you and really feeling like, you, he makes you feel like he really gives a uh, gives an f gives a gives an f about what you're saying. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're it doesn't matter if you're a guy sat in his kitchen in Hull or The Rock, you know. And he's interviewed so many different people. He's very genuine. He really cares. He looks he looks and sounds like he really cares. And you know how like and that's a skill I think that you have because like you obviously went and watched an interview I did with Tom. You know, and it's like you you genuinely invested time and energy and that there you go. That's another thing, you know, another sort of skill that I, you know, I always sort of try and work with people on is just invest time into people, invest, make make them feel like you give a fuck. You know what I mean? Uh, and I think that going back to your original question, that's why he stands out. Not only is he a really good looking dude uh, with a very with very good cheekbones and nice hair but he is also a lovely human being. Like you, you get the sense that no matter what he does, no matter how big he gets, no matter how big his muscles are, no matter all that stuff, that he really cares about what you're saying and what you have to say. And I'm really proud that we had him on the channel. He was our very first wrestling themed interview we ever did on, on the, the channel. And, and for me, 
obviously, there's no exception to get a reputation like Neil Longley. I've been at Arsenal, been difficult to work with, but we could everybody see everybody seemed to be receptive to a certain degree. Even even MJF when he's like when he's playing that character, it's still interesting to watch. Chris's interaction with him because he's, he's not afraid to play along like some my Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. I think it's a very good example. It's a very, it just, you just feel like you're there in the moment with you. And I think that's the key is, you know, when somebody has normally in, you know, in, you know, stuff like that, that wrestler or that performer might have like 10 interviews in a day. Right. So it was part of like a, you know, when, when Chris interviewed the rock, for example, right. He'll have, he'll have had 50 interviews to do that day. The rock, right. One journalist after the other one person after the other, coming into the room, sitting down with him, whatever, right? And the, the thing that Chris does and the thing that you do, right, is you 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 are you walk in there, or you well, obviously Chris would walk in there. Me and you wouldn't walk in there. I would wobble, you know. <laughs> but 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 you know you make somebody feel like you really care and you're not just there to ask certain questions. Like you're not just oh um MJF, tell me about your feud with Jericho. Oh, Rock, tell me about your next movie. Chris thinks about funny questions. Chris thinks about questions that mean something to The Rock or to MJF, right? Even if it's in character. And that is the key, in my experience, to being a good journalist is asking somebody how their day is, asking somebody how they're feeling before you start, you know, just if there's time. Because not there's not always time, and I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Just showing that you give a fuck, basically. Just showing that you want to be there with that person. You're not just doing a job, I think, is the key. Like, just, that's what Chris does. Like, for example, you know, if I can see somebody's cop, yeah, I might comment on their cop if I like it and yeah. things like that. So I know exactly what you mean. But moving on from that, you've interviewed people like Killian Dane, Big Day, or whatever you want to call him, and so many of them, as you said, Go back and try out and things like that. When you when you when you're interviewing somebody on that level, like a go back and try out. Is it is it is it hard? Not that, not that. Like what is like well, like okay, obviously when you're doing an interview with WWE, I would imagine you can let you can let the certain question to a degree. Is it yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the hard not to not to ask something else, even though you think that's gonna be interest interesting for the viewers. I mean, yeah. If anything, you know, if there's if there's those questions that come up, and you, you're working within the parameters of what say WWE or Impact Wrestling have, so you can't mention yeah. this, you can't mention that, or whatever. If you for, for me personally, in the way that I interview people, I am quite personal. Like I will ask, you know, deeper questions than the standard ones. If you're part of those media calls, where, and usually there's about 20 different journalists on these media calls, right? And you've got two questions or one question, right? Like if you watch my interview with, or listen to my interview with Charlotte, or you my interview with Jeff Jarrett, or if you read the stuff we did before I, before I even did the podcast, right. Before I even did the podcast for Soundsphere, I was interviewing like Mick Foley and Ric Flair. 
Like yeah. the, the, what I did on the, so those were on the telephone. What I did was I asked them about how they're doing. I asked them about what their inspirations are. And I asked them about different stuff because you hear all the usual stuff, right? So it was Charlotte Flair. It's about, you know, you talk about Rick, you, people talk about Rick Flair. They're talking about, you know, uh, you know, next feuds and things like that, right? I'll talk about personal shit, deep stuff that might relate to people. Like, because what I, one of the things that, that like, I think makes our stuff stand out is that I think about the people that I work with. I, I think about the young people, right? I think about what, what how, how can I relate Charlotte Flair, a global superstar, Drew McIntyre, a global superstar, Ric Flair, you know, Chris Van Vliet. How can I relate their experience to a 16-year-old kid who lives in Birmingham, all right, who lives in, who, or who lives in Chester, right, or who lives in Manchester, wherever, right? So those are the, the best example, if, going, you know, if, you, if you go and direct people to those interviews, you know, give them a listen, you'll, you'll see what I mean. Like I do a lot around mental health in my day job and I want to know what, what, what Charlotte Flair does on a bad day, how she gets up in the morning if she ever has a bad day, because that, you and I can relate to that, right? You and I can relate to having bad days, yeah. right? But people, you know, like, I, so, so those, those are the questions I ask. I ask. I ask stuff to motivate people. I ask stuff to, 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 to try and, without trying to sound too cheesy, like inspire people to a point, because like, the people listening, they want something to relate to them. I, you know, I want I want the interviews that I do to be able to relate to someone sitting in their living room, having a cup of tea and a biscuit, right? And maybe they don't have a million, you know, maybe they don't have millions of pounds in the bank like Charlotte Flair. Maybe they don't have millions of pounds in the bank like Drew McIntyre, right? But what? how can I connect Charlotte Flair, Seamus, Drew, Rick, Mick Foley to that person sitting in that room, to you where you're laying to me in my kitchen. That's what I try and do with my interviews. Um, and, but yeah, you know, you, you do the stock questions as well, the standard stuff, but I, I always want people to come away thinking. Uh, I like, I, yeah. Like, I'm not, like, for example, you want them to come away thinking, I don't, maybe they don't even really like wrestling, but they just happen to. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, you met you, that's exactly what, I'm trying to get at right. Good, good, good pick up there, dude. Like I, I, I just want. I want. It's so hard, Anthony. Right when you're, if you're working a day job, right, or you're in school, and maybe you've got a, maybe you don't have a nice home to come home to. Maybe you've got a back. Maybe you come from a difficult background, yeah. and you watch wrestling to escape. You watch wrestling to escape, right? And then you see an interview, and and the person's talking about you know, being successful, you know, or, or they're talking about the next feud and stuff. That's great. That's awesome. All power to them. Congratulations for getting that point to get into that, you know, getting to the WWE, all that stuff. Right. But what is it that, what about when they're having a bad time? Right. Cause the kid, the kids sat in their living room can relate to that. Right. What is it when that, you know, what, you know, do they have any, do they have any pets? Do they get motivated by their pets? Stuff like that. I know it sounds silly, but it's like trying to find a way for that person to get that person I'm interviewing that might be a multi-million, you know, selling artist or musician or, you know, a global TV star wrestler. You know, I want them, I want, I want a kid to realize that, to think I can do that. I've been there. I've felt like that. I've done that. 
you know, and that's what I want to do. And maybe it's a different formula to other people because I'm, I'm not, I'm, you know, Anthony, who uh, my, my Anthony, who does the Give Me Your Whole Year yeah. podcast with me, you watch his interviews, they're much more straight to the point, much more about what, what feuds they're doing. And I love that. And some of those men have big more views than the ones I do. And, that, and that's fine because people are watching to, you know, we did the Goldberg one, we, we've done others, you know, they're, they're, that's fine because, you know, you get to your points about feuds and things. But for me, I want to level with a person. And, so, and quite a lot of the time, after the interview's done, someone would be like, wow, that's the deepest interview I've done all day. Like, oh, that's the weirdest, you know, that's the strangest interview I've done all day because I never usually have to think about that stuff. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I know. Like, David, quick example. Like, you know, you know, Charlotte, yeah, you could, you could potentially ask her, what would it, what would it, growing up with your, with your dad constantly on the road and did it, mm. did it develop recently? Not resent, not resentment, but did it, did it, did it develop as you got older? I'm trying to think of the right word. Yeah. I think resentment the right word. Yeah, did did you develop? A, um, I guess it's how 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 did the relationship develop? Because again, resentment resentment is a good word and a and a strong word, and I think that. But, but, but yeah, it gets the point across. And I think that's a great question. And that's different. You know, that's your example there of what I'm trying to talk about. So, so you, so you've just done it there, right? I've been on, I've been on these media calls with these great wrestling journalists and they are fantastic. The people from Cultaholic, the people from WrestleTalk, uh, Sean Ross Sapp and all these people, right? I've been on these calls with these people and their questions are awesome. They're great questions for wrestling journalism, but what about what about what it was like for Charlotte? Sorry, I keep going over here because I because I've got you over here, but actually I've got to keep looking at the camera. Don't worry, lady. I find I find it difficult. I find it difficult to get looking at the camera. So don't worry. Uh, but but that's yeah. What I'm saying, right? That's where you get what I mean, and that's what that's a good question that's a really good question and different I, i've sat and i've listened to 40 minutes worth of interview questions by journalists right you know all the usual stuff and nobody asks questions like that nobody asks questions like that. maybe they're a little bit afraid to do that maybe they're afraid to ask charlotte what it was like growing up with, with your dad away all the time but i want to know that answer i want to know that answer because i bet there's a bunch of kids watching that are fans of charlotte flair that have dads that are away all the time and feel that, you know, can relate to that. And maybe that's the way, Anthony, right? That, that girl or that person, that young person goes, oh man, Charlotte went through that. I can do it too. I can still, I can be where she is or I can carve my own path. Do you know what I mean? So, so, that, so that's your, that's a good example, a great question on your part there, yeah. Like, like the worst thing, I always say, the worst thing they're going to say is, I don't want to talk about that, and then we'll move, then we'll move on. Exactly, yeah, oh, I'm sorry, that's a good question, but I can't, you know, I don't want to talk about that today, or, uh, you know, uh, can we have the next question, please? And that's the professional, you know, professional in year, you've just got to go, okay, we'll move on, thank you, and next question, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, you know, you, you know obviously you've been to America, I think you lived over there for a little bit, so... Yeah. Coming from the UK, I have disabilities, I treat I over here. Going over to the States, was it better or worse? 
<laughs> it's a good question. It depends how much money you have for healthcare. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's in some ways, in some cities, it's really accessible. In the bigger cities, it's very accessible. So your Boston's and New York's, right? I used to get the train to work in Boston every day. Very accessible. You step on, you step off, or somebody helps you out. Somebody will give you a hand, right? Or there'll be lifts and things in the tube stations. All the T stations, there's lifts, right? In London, as I've lived in London, there's no, there's not many lifts in the stations, right? But in Boston and New York, there's lifts in the stations. You can get around, right? As someone with a disability, I think if uh, you know most of the lifts are, are wheelchair access, accessible, you know, in terms of width. Um, but there's always more that can be done with that. There's always better things that can be done, but certainly for somebody with walking sticks who has minimal balance, for example, uh, and, and, you know, is susceptible to falling over as I am, it's very accessible. But in, if you, you find, if you go out to a Los Angeles, right, there's no trains. <laughs> it's really vast, right? It's a big place. So you have to have a car. You have to have a car or you have to use Uber. So I think it's very, it can be very expensive for someone with a disability in America, depending on where you are. If you work in the city, it can be quite accessible for the most, most cases. But if you're out in the desert, for example, or you're in like, you know, if you're trying to get somewhere, if you're trying to travel somewhere, um, it can be difficult uh, by yourself, I mean. But in airports, in airports, very accessible. Uh, you know, there's always support staff, very much like they have here. You know, you can get someone to help you through the yeah. airport. Sometimes I'll do that if, I'm, if I think I'm going to miss a flight or something. And I think that's something that could be said. One thing that I will, you know, if anybody goes to America, the biggest culture shock, man, is tipping, right? Yeah. A, lot of the, a lot of these people don't get any money except for the tips or very little. They're paid very little and they'll rely on tips, right? And it's not in our culture to do that, right? so like i'll tip as much for example right because it's usually in the bill but there like tipping is so important so you know if someone gives you a hand through the airport you know pushes a wheelchair for you or helps you with your bags you gotta tip people so that's the biggest thing i learned after some quite awkward conversation with people like yeah you have to remember to tip people in america if you're gonna if you're gonna have help getting around um, but because obviously they have less, you know, they just their, their wages are sometimes so, so minuscule uh, in terms of for the work they do and how hard they work. But in terms of generally, yeah, man, really accessible, oftentimes better than the bigger cities we have, particularly London. Um, for me, anyway, that was my experience of it. So going back to interviewing, you've, you've interviewed as we like, You've interviewed plenty of people, and mm. do you know, do you know your interview with Killian Day? Yeah, yeah. I, I really, I really enjoyed that one. In particular, rather than just speaking like it really like a lot of interviewers do, you spoke like what it, what it takes to get there to, to WWE or to yeah. the American period, and I thought that was interesting. Yeah, man, absolutely, absolutely. And that's what I'm talking about, man. There you go. There's your example. You know, that's it. You know, people don't want to just sit and ask to talk about being released. They want to talk about the next step. They want to talk about what, what they're doing next and, and, and what they've got planned. You know, there's so much about Killian Dane, Big Damo, uh, you know, that, that people don't know. And hopefully that interview said, said some light on it. Um, you know, and I'm really, I really hope for the best for him. You know, he's a lovely person. Very nice to me. So 
How would how would you compare interviewing wrestlers to interviewing music artists? Do you find it easier or do you find it worse? Or is it about the same? Man, I, I've been a wrestling fan since I was like six years old, seven years old, right? I'm 35 now, right? So so wrestling has been a huge part of my life, like a big part of my life. And so for me, it's more nerve-wracking interviewing wrestlers because I grew up loving wrestling. But it's easier. It's easier because the music industry is very, it's very led by um, album releases and things like that, right? There's, le- there's actually less direction from, you know, your, man- your management, your WWE or your Impact Wrestling or your Ring of Honor or AEW. There's actually less direction than in wrestling interviews. When you go and do your wrestling interviews, you get longer time as well. You usually get 20 minutes. Sometimes, not necessarily with everybody, with WWE, with Drew McIntyre, I got five minutes. With Charlotte, I got five. Um, but, like, you get 20 minutes with wrestlers sometimes, whereas music interviews, like, the management and stuff could be really tight, you know, and you might have travelled. Obviously, with, America, with, with wrestling being in America, a lot of it's done over Zoom or telephone, right? For musicians and stuff, if they're on tour, you might travel for, like, you know, three hours to get to a gig or something and have like a 10 minute, 10 minute interview, 15 minute interview. So actually it's less restrictive wrestling in wrestling journalism, I think. And I enjoy wrestling interviews more. It's just that I've been working in the music industry for over 10 years. So I'm more used to interviewing musicians. Actually, the interview I did with Chris Jericho was because of his band Fozzy. I didn't get the connection through wrestling. It was just somebody offered me an interview with Fozzy with Chris Jericho. And so we talked about music and a little bit about wrestling. And that was one of the most fun interviews I ever did. So do you, so do you, know, do you know when you interview people like Jericho, yeah, and he, and he obviously does the music and wrestling, yeah. Was it, was it, was it, was it hard for, was it hard to get, was it hard to get in, in his music mode? And into uh, he loves talking about music, man. He loves it. No, but what I was gonna say was, oh, I've, yes. I've seen interviews where he 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 done interviews with a wrestling with a wrestling media outlet while he's been on tour with Fatty, while he's been on tour with Fatty, and all he wanted to speak at was Fatty's um, point yeah. was, was it hard to get him, was it hard to get him back into the rest to the wrestling questions? Yeah. Very much so, yeah, very much so. You have to you have to relate it. You had to relate it. So for example, you would ask, so I the wrestling question I asked was how difficult, how or how different rather it is performing on stage with Fozzy and you know, in comparison to performing in a wrestling ring, and what relatable skills can you can you transfer between the two? So of course it was a roundabout way of talking about wrestling. We like talking about without talking about wrestling. So he, so he didn't get his back up because I've seen those interviews too. I've seen those interviews too. If you're talking about Fozzy with Chris Jericho, you're talking about Fozzy, you know what I mean? But but because of the way I asked the question, he talked about wrestling, he talked about WWE, he talked about being an entertainer, but then he also related it back to music, you know what I mean? That's it, that's the best way to do it. To be honest, I think we're very similar in the way that we interviewed, to be honest. 
Sorry, I couldn't walk yeah, I've loved I've loved talking to you, mate. Honestly, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. But obviously, we never really spoke at the podcast. So should we do that for a little bit? Yeah, if you want, if you want, yeah, go on, man. Go for it. So do you know your first ever live stream? Yeah. Yeah. You haven't watched it, have you? Oh god. <laughs> no, no, I haven't watched. But the point, but the point was, yeah. Do you know you first? I go live, yeah. Because I, I, hate, I hate doing live stuff. Like on, like I wouldn't mind doing a live, like in front of people. But I hate doing live streams because I find it hard to concentrate and keep it entertaining, and also, and also read the chat. So how did you deal with it for the first time, or did you? Yeah, it's, it's such a, you make such a good point, man. It's so hard. Like if you've got, so here I've got, so I've got a screen here that has my chats on it, right? So I'll read the chats off there and then I'll have the, the wrestling on here. So I'll be watching the wrestling and then I'll have, uh, you know, other comments and stuff. So yeah, it's so hard to do that. If you've got somebody else with you, and I think that this would be, if you were going to do, more of that like maybe get somebody else in with you to do it just because it's nice to have somebody else sat talking about wrestling especially if it's monday night raw or smackdown and it's like three in the morning having somebody else there with you you'll know if you go back and watch some of the more recent live streams i've done uh, our uh, discord moderator dan hargreaves yeah. comes on with me because to be honest dude when it gets to about three in the morning and you've watched three hours of raw you're like you're hanging you're hanging you don't want to read chats you don't want to do it it's, it's, it's hard but actually having someone else to talk to in addition to the to the people as well in addition to the people that are giving you comments etc it really helps so for me that's been really useful but on my own i just imagine i'm talking you know i mean we can have people we can have five people in we've had 75 people in you know it really really it really it really sort of um varies but I think the more the more comments that come in, the more people engage with you, you know, that's re that really inspires me. I get a bit of a buzz off it. I get a bit high off it. You know what I mean? I'm not really a, a drug person because I have enough trouble standing up as it is, Anthony. Um, but yeah. you know, I get that I get that vibe. I get a bit high on conversation. You know, I like I like talking to people. So if you ask me how I did it, I fed off. I fed off the uh, the Hullamaniacs, as we call them. I fed off the Hullamaniacs. Uh, that they're, they're speaking to me, asking me questions. I, I, I tend to spend more time on the chat now than I do the wrestling. And honestly, that tends to work because people think they're going to get their comment read out. They think they're going to get heard on the podcast. And so, so for me, I would say my formula for it, even though we're not really successful in terms of you know like your level we're not at your level as a youtuber um we i would say that it's main it's about 20 percent to 30 percent wrestling watching the wrestling and the rest of it i would say is comments is engaging with people so if you were going to concentrate on something more than the other i'd probably concentrate on your comments because people are interested in you people are interested in you as the host fundamentally that's why they've clicked on they're they're, they're clicking on because you've got a raw stream fair enough but like, but once once they're there, it's you that holds their attention, and you're an interesting dude. So if, if you ever did a, a live stream, 
focus on the comments, focus on the questions people are asking you, and maybe, you know, glance a little bit to the 50th time you'll see uh, Bobby Lashley face off against uh, Drew McIntyre. You know what I mean? But, like, mo it's mostly about you, and I think because, you know, people know people know the kitchen, people like the kitchen, you know, people know uh, my, you know, my partner, she'll pop in and say hi to people, she'll pop on the screen and say hi. You know, people know that my, you know, Anthony, my Anthony, you went through a breakup. So they ask him, you know, they ask him how he's doing. So you become, you become part of their lives and they become part of yours. Like I, I know everybody in the Holomania community. I'm like, Oh, how's your wife doing? Or, Oh, I, I know you were having a bad mental health day the other day, you know, X, Y, and Z person. How are you feeling today? It's nice to see you. So it's more about the people than, than the wrestling. It certainly becomes more about the people as the stream goes on. I would say. I would. I would agree with that when it when it comes to WWE, I, I, I don't really I don't really watch it anymore. What what the pay per views? Yeah, yeah. Because the actual wrestling product at the moment, anyway, is still top notch. We did some of the storylines. Sometimes I don't I don't even think they try to tell stories. I understand it's for children, and that's why I watch it. Yeah. But I just, I just find it really frustrating because they have all the money in the they have all the money in the world, yeah. yeah. And if they wanted to, they could tell some of the best stories ever yeah. created. Yeah, absolutely. And they've done some great work in the past, but I think that I think um, AEW has really, you know, has really shot the system to take, you know, to coin an Adam Cole when they're phrase. Uh, you know, AEW has really shot the system, man, and I, I'm not sure WWE are used to it. They've not been used to it since WCW, and I think their programming suffering because you've got Vince McMahon, who is, you know, got to give him all the respect in the world for building sports entertainment as he has, but, you know, he's in his 70s now, and, and he's not, I would say, this is just my opinion, before we get into, like, dirt sheets and, you know, wrestling arguments or whatever, I would say he's a little bit out of touch, and I think that because of, you know, because, you know, even though he's done so much for wrestling, I think in terms of booking matches, you know, you can absolutely have Vince McMahon backstage watching everything, overseeing stuff. But, you know, he shouldn't be booking matches and changing scripts last minute. And he's doing that, I think, and this is just my opinion, because he's panicking, because, because now AEW are a, a genuine threat. You know, Anthony, my Anthony on the podcast, he will do weekly episodes of AEW now. We used to do at the pandemic when the pandemic began. We did Monday Night Raw, we did Wednesday Night Dynamite, and we did Friday Night SmackDown and any pay per views, right? Anthony works; he's a theatre tech. He works full time, yeah. right? Now he he will go to work at seven eight in the morning on a Thursday morning, having watched an AEW stream on the podcast because he loves AEW. He's excited about the product. He loves the storylines. You know what I mean? He loves it. Right. And, and unfortunately, and this is my question for you, can you say that you love any of the storylines on WWE? Because I can't. I don't love anything on WWE right now. I'm a huge WWE fan, but I don't love anything on the product. Whereas I love what CM Punk is doing. I love what Adam Cole is doing on AEW. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Anthony? When it, when it comes to WWE, I can't, I can't really watch the weekly, the weekly TV show. I love you. I love you all bad for some of the talent because you can tell they're really trying their best, but it's just not yeah. in the time to me as a viewer. Absolutely, man. 
Absolutely. I mean, I mean, look at Alexa Bliss and what Alexa Bliss is doing. You know, she's obviously trying really hard, you know, to do that sort of, you know, the Fiend gimmick in WWE. But people aren't really engaging with it. And she's trying really hard. You know, you, you, um, the New Day, again, great character work, all these people. Um, I mean, there's other examples that aren't as prominent. You know, Otis and other people, they, they tried really hard with their gimmicks. But people aren't digging it. People aren't digging it because it's not, I don't, I, mean, I think it maybe is, maybe it's about being relatable. I don't know if it is. I don't know if you, what you think, but, you know, I think that people can relate. People can relate to CM Punk, you know, he's been, he's, he's been this, you know, he's, he's been disenfranchised with wrestling for years. He's come back, right? People can relate to your hangman Adam Pages because he's, you know, He's had a rough time. He's got a drinking problem and he's coming back to, you know, he's coming back to win the title. People can relate to, 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 to you know, your Christian Cages, fed up with your, your job so you go somewhere else, you know? And I don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but... No, it's fine. For me, for me, yeah, I feel like watching AEW is like watching real-life people that just, that just happen to be on the TV show. <laughs> That's a really good point. Yeah, I never, you know what, Anthony, I've never really thought about it like that. Yeah. Maybe that's why people dig it so much. Because it's less about sports entertainment. It's less about, they, these guys don't look like actors, do they? You know, AEW guys don't look like actors. Yeah. They don't look like Hollywood actors. They look like me and you, to a point. I do think there's a lot of problem with AEW, but I would rather say, I would rather take eighty percent show that I enjoy rather than the, rather than the fifty. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think you're right there. I'm, I'm, me and you are very similar. Me and you are very similar. I think we've got the same thoughts on that. I, re, I really hope AW don't don't try and don't try and get every don't try and get everybody that late that late. Because at the moment it feels like the rosters be overbloated, and yeah. by the look of it. AEW are not interested in releasing people like that, so they just they just need to they just need to slow down on some of the some of the signings. I think yeah, get, get one or two more that you really want, and then say okay, we're not we're not signing anybody for you. Yeah, no, I think you're right, mate. I think you're right. I mean, I want to see. You know, I want to see Bray Wyatt in AEW, but then he could also work in Impact Wrestling. We're forgetting Impact Wrestling, a great, you know, great promotion doing really good things. So there's plenty of places now for people to work uh, that there wasn't, you know, 10 years ago. So, you know, I just want, you know, you want the best for people, don't you? You want the people to have jobs and you want performers to have jobs. But I see what you mean. I know exactly what you mean about AEW. There's a lot about you know, people comparing it to WCW already where people are, Saying, oh, you know, it's just going to be the next WCW taking on all the WWE guys, but I, I think in the main they've been been pretty pretty good with the people they've signed. I mean, Adam Cole, you do you, you don't want Adam Cole going to Impact Wrestling, you know, you don't want to lose Adam Cole to Impact Wrestling. Uh, you know, Miro is, is say another example. Yeah, you good know? signing. Yeah, exactly. Miro's another one. Um, there's so many there. I mean, there's a few people that I'm like, yeah. You know, maybe maybe they could have let go already, but they, you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully they'll find work in Impact. Hopefully, if AEW starts letting go of people, they'll find work elsewhere. 
maybe in Impact Wrestling or maybe even going back to WWE. But I think that, you know, in the main right now, uh, AEW are doing all right. But yeah, it's becoming over, it's becoming oversaturated. I, I just want to see, I want to see Bray Wyatt in AEW and then I'll be happy. Then they can cut it off. And for, for me, for me, I would rather see Kevin Steen in AEW. Oh, there you go. Yes. There you go. I, 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 think, I think Kevin Steen is a better fit for AEW than Bray. I think Bray's probably better suited to Impact Wrestling. Um, so I think you're probably going to, I think if it was a toss up between the two, I think you're going to get your wish. I think Kevin Steen is much more AEW. And of course, he's got the friendship with Young Bucks as well. So I think if we're, unless we're getting Bray and Kevin, which I doubt, I think we're getting Kevin Steen in AEW and Bray White in Impact Wrestling. Two, two more questions. I'll let you go. So do you, do you know do you know Tony Tony Khan yet? Obviously, obviously he's the main booker, and I know and I know I know I have people that also give their opinion like Cody, the young books and other people. But I'm worried that he that he might turn into Paul Heyman when he gets burned out. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. It could it could happen. It could happen. You're absolutely right. I mean, very early days with AEW, man. Very early days. Um, so we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But you're right. There is potential for burnout. People are bigging up Tony Khan, bigging up AEW. But we've not seen the low. We've not seen any lows yet. We've not seen any lows. There's a lot of excitement, a lot of buzz. But what happens when, you know, things aren't going so well? You know, we've yet, we've yet to see that. And I, do, and I do wonder whether AEW have a contingency, a contingency plan as well. Mm. But if it gets burnt out, like, I don't know how long you've been watching wrestling, but, but do you know in Memphis, so you have Gary Lawler booked for six months and then somebody out you to come in and take over. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good idea. I, I really do. I think you're absolutely right. I think that there needs to be a, a contingency plan, like you said, Anthony. There needs to be a contingency plan. And I don't know. You see, this is my only concern with AEW, right? Is is you know, everything's good right now. We're on we're on an upward, on an upward curve, yeah. What happens, like I said to you before, what happens when it starts to go down? What happens when profits drop? Remember that where to, where Tony Khan's money's coming from, right? It's obviously with his dad and, and the Khan family. What happens, right? When that money starts to 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 go down, or you know, not enough profits are being made, you know what I mean. And that is what I'm curious. Like you, I'm curious to see if they have a contingency plan because I'm not sure right now. I'm not sure they do. Because because for me for me yeah, I've been watching wrestling since 2002. You've probably been watching longer than me, I would assume. So mm. so so we've seen. We've seen, we've seen WCW on with ECW on with early days, TNA, and we've seen Ring of Honor. They all had their moments, but eventually, eventually, they they start losing, they start losing the ball. Absolutely, and then it's hard for them to pick it back up again. Yeah. Yeah, very right, very right. So where, where that's the thing, Anthony. 
That's your question, man. Where, when is that happening for AEW? When is that happening? Because I think people think that there's a bottomless pit of money. And th- there might be right now. There might be right now. But is that going to last forever? You know, is, is, um, is it Sadiq? Is, is Tony Khan's dad? You know, is Sadiq Khan going to going to keep funding AEW? Is Tony Khan going to have, you know, endless funds? Or is it going to, is it burning out? You know, going back to that phrase you use, burning out, is that going to happen? Is, is the funds going to burn out? Is Tony Khan going to burn out? Is, you know, you know, there's, there's a couple of reports. I don't know what you think about this, but there's a couple of reports of a little bit of dissension between the books and Cody. Uh, you know, disagreements happening backstage that people don't talk about, you yeah. know? And do you think... Uh, sorry, I... I, I no, nah, I, I, I really enjoy talking. Uh, 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 my, my concern is, you know, in Daniel Bryan media room, where he said, Vince, we're a bit too safe with me, yeah. I'm with you that, that Daniel Bryan's going to go too crazy in and do really hurting himself. Luckily, luckily, I don't, well, luckily, AEW have a relatively small audience, so maybe he can go back to his Matt-based style. Yeah, I think you're right. That's another, you know, great journalistic trait that you have there. You know, again, picking up on specific phrases. Uh, you know, people don't always think about that. People think that's a positive thing. People think, oh, yeah, Daniel Bryan just wants to go in and kick everybody's ass. Or Daniel Bryan wants to go and do, you know, all these fancy, you know, bo- uh, spots. He wants to do loads of um, loads of uh, spots and stuff. But no one's thinking about his neck. No one's thinking about his injury. You know what I mean? And, may- you know, maybe he wants to go 100 miles an hour. Maybe he wants to start flying out of the ring. But what happens when his neck goes? What happens when he gets injured? Have you, have, you, have you seen any of his work in of it before he went to WWE? No, I need to go back and watch it. I want to go back and watch it. Because he's been going on this stuff. He's very much that base style. Don't, don't get me wrong. He's still a bit like wild. But he barely jumps out the ring in Ring of Honor compared to his WWE stuff. Yeah. So maybe, so maybe he'll go back to that style. I hope so. No. I hope so too for his own safety. Yeah, absolutely. So my last question, my last question about AEW, and then we can, and then we can start wrapping it up because I don't want to be out all night. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Well, I think I think we could probably talk talk for hours. So hopefully, we'll get to have another chat at some point. But yeah, absolutely. Let's. Uh, what, what, whatever questions you've got, I will answer me. So, so what, what would be what would be your dream? Storing on the AW. Oh, what a question. What a question, man. Right. Okay. Um, all right. So let's have a think about this. I think, right. So CM Punk, right? And um Hangman Adam Page. Okay. So Hangman Adam Page for me needs to be the guy to deep front Kenny Omega for me. Yeah. Right. But I mean, a lot of people are talking about giving it to Brian Danielson because he's a name. No. Sorry, I'm not dead. No, no, no. Sorry, you did it. I was gonna go Brian Danielson on you. Or Daniel Bryan on you there. Go on. They, they, they told these stories in AW started, and if they don't play off, I'm gonna be really pissed off. Yeah, absolutely. I, I so so I think 
um, I think CM Punk takes Hangman Adam Page under his wing when Adam Page comes back, all right? And we see months of, like, tag team matches and friendships, yeah? But, yeah. I, but, but I think, right, so CM Punk is there by Hangman Adam Page's side when he dethrones Kenny Omega. Yeah. raises the title, raises yeah. the title high. We I... finally got it. We finally got the Hangman Adam Page. I... What has it been, two years, three years in the making? Three, three years. CM Punk comes in. GCS. Yes! Hangman Adam Page, heal CM Punk because everybody thinks they want a face CM Punk, but what they really want, what they really want, Anthony, is a heel CM Punk, a bad guy. So that is my that is my storyline that I want to see uh, play out in the next few years is CM Punk taking Hangman Page <laughs> under his wing, being all friends, nicey-nice, everything's cool, Hangman Page is the hero, raises the title, beats Kenny Omega, bam, GTS, heel CM Punk and Hangman Page feud. At, at the moment, I think it feel, I feel like at the moment, it feel brought playing CM Punk rather than CM Punk. We have not seen CM, CM Punk yet, in my opinion. We've yeah. seen... Film Brooks, Clayton's, Clayton's in punk. Yeah, I like that. There you go, man. There you go. You, you and I are on the same wavelength. We're on the same wavelength. Do you get, do you get Coco Banner involved? Uh, I think it? you can. I think you can. I, I don't know what's happening with the Dark Order at the moment. And there's people talking about, oh, it's, you know, foreshadowing a Bray Wyatt debut or whatever. But I think you've got to get Colt Cabana. You've got to get Colt Cabana out of the Dark Order and into that feud somehow, 100%. Because Colt could say to could say to play white gym. Yeah, hundred percent, man, hundred percent. Colt could be Colt. Could, I think Colt's a great talent, super underrated, super underrated. And I would and I would like to think they could work together at least. They don't have to be best. They don't have to be best friends, but I would like to think they could work with one another. Yeah, I think so. And I think they could professionally. I mean, we saw it a couple of years ago, a few years ago now with Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart when Bret Hart came back. You can you can do it. If there's enough money, <laughs> you know, here's the, here's the thing. If there's enough money involved, you can work with anybody. You know what I mean? My my last question is, would you, obviously, I've been doing what you're doing now for sound. Sound sphere, yeah. Sound sphere. So I can right. never say that. All right, nobody, nobody else can either. It's very difficult for people to say. To be fair. But, but would you like the how? Yeah, you know, eventually, would you like the how? Yeah, podcast to be your main source of income, I, or I, I, I would. That's a really good man. I've never thought about that. It's a good question. Um, there you go. You see, asking questions. Never, no one's ever asked me. Um, I think that yes, I think that it's more important for Anthony to have it at the moment, as in my Anthony. Uh, because he's uh, he's you know he's a theatre technician in the pandemic, and of course you know uh, there's not a lot of work uh, that's been there at the moment. He's just starting to get more uh, work now that theatre productions are coming through now. But I think I, I you know I said to him you know I want it to be something that can you know be a bit of a buffer if he's struggling one month or anything like that. Um, because for me I have other forms of income. Soundsphere is a huge form of income, but if it can well, not a huge form of income, but enough for me to live, you know what I mean? But like, um, you know, I think that if if it became something for both of us where we could both make some money from it, 
um, and potentially pay other people, potentially to give opportunities in a similar way that I described, similar way that I described Soundsphere. You know, if we could have young people who are wrestling fans come and get involved, that'd be cool. But yeah, in answer to your question, I would love it to become a full-time thing for both me and my Anthony. Yeah, absolutely. Because I heard that you're separating your movie stuff and your wrestling stuff and to choose and to do and to do separate right. channels and for myself that inspired me to have, have a podcast channel where I can just interview people and then I can have another channel just That's called cool. Anthony where I can dig where I can dig about yeah <laughs> talk to you mates yeah it's good I like that I like that yeah I mean you know we're lucky that the, you know these these opportunities and these uh, resources are at our fingertips. It takes two minutes to set up a new channel, you know, and that can start something. You know, like I say, I bet when you started your channel, you didn't think you'd be here where you are with two thousand plus subscribers, you know. And there's no reason you can't do that again. There's no reason you can't do that with another channel. Obviously, it's work, and you can and you can tell your your subscribers here to subscribe to that channel. But yeah. I, I think it's great. Why not spread yourself all over the internet? Why not? Why not spread yourself oh, all over the internet? You know. Obviously, I don't want to feel for channel because then you because then I feel like you're spending yourself too, too thin, thin if too you're thin. doing it by yourself. But yeah. But obviously, I don't have to upload everything without it. Yeah, I can just. Upload when I got a banging interview or banging conversation with a mate. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'd love to see whatever you've got planned. Whatever you're doing, I look forward to seeing it. And just to say, this has been one of my best interviews I've done in a long, long time. Because normally I end up stammering and stuttering because I'm so worried about the person time. But I've realised. That is probably great to come on. As long as I don't, as long as I don't take the mickey, I can detect my timer to speak how I, no, how I normally speak. Yeah, 100%, man. And it depends who you're talking to. You can take the mickey, you know. If you if you ever interview me again or we have a chat, you can take the mickey out of me all you want. Um, It depends on the it depends on the person. Well, what I mean is, obviously, I don't want to take four hours to do yeah, one interview. I know what I know what you mean. But I, I, like I say, you know, if people come, agree to come on, they give their time up, that's totally cool. And thank you for, for saying that. For me personally, you know, I'm lucky enough that people do ask to interview me about like Soundsphere or about my work. And honestly, it's been a really, like really engaging conversation. I think you're, you know, I think you're an exceptional interviewer and I hope you continue, you know, and like it's, 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 it's interesting here, Anthony, because the evidence is you know i can say this stuff and any of your guests can say oh thanks for a great interview anthony and you might have given you know you've done a great job you know you've done a great job today you've done a, you did a great job on your other interviews but like the evidence is there you know the evidence is in your subscribers the evidence is in the people that care about what you do so i'm not just saying oh yeah anthony, you're real good mate well done thanks for your interview that was my proper whole accent mm. Like, I'm not just saying that stuff. Your evidence is is there. You know, you're putting the effort in to get the content, but people are engaging in it. People care. And that is that is your, your recipe to success. That is it, man. Everything I'm talking about, you've already done. Like you're already making your audience, you're already, you're already creating content that you care about, 
and then they care about it as well. And that that is why you're where you're at, and that is why you have become, you know, quote unquote, successful on YouTube because people people give a shit about what you're doing, and and you can see in your eyes, you can see in your face, you can see when you ask them questions that you give a shit as well. And I tell you what, man, that is that is that you can't you can't teach that, you know, you can't yeah. teach that, man. Yeah. I do play earlier when you're interviewing people like Drew McIntyre or somebody else, you might only have five minutes. I do make sure you don't go over your time as somebody also in the call timing, timing you. Yeah, man. I mean, you get the odd, sometimes you get the odd cheeky so and so gets the extra question in. And I'm not going to say I've not done it before, right? I have done it once or twice. I did it with Charlotte. You can see I got two questions in there, right? But like, how do you keep to time? You just, you just, you answer, you make sure your question, if you've done your research, you, you pick the question you want to answer, you ask, you make sure it's a good question that you've researched, that you, that you, that you really want an answer to. And it's different to everybody else doing the, oh, you know, all the usual questions, right? Ask a question that you care about and you know they care about. That's what you do. You ask a question that you want to know and that more importantly, you think they want to answer and you think they'll really give a shit, right? It's reflected in, you know, the answers to some of the interviews you've seen me do. And also, you know, because I know that you have the same skills, some of the interviews you've done. If, 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 you're, if you've got one question, but then they give you a five to 10 minute answer, it's nobody's fault. Nobody can say, nobody, nobody's going to stop Charlotte mid-sentence on a media call and say, Oh, uh, sorry, sorry, Charlotte. Sorry, stop what you're saying. We've got another, right? So there's your time. You make, you give them a question that they want to answer, and they could give you ten minutes. They could give you as long as they want. And I, and I, and I would look at it like if you had like four or five questions written down, yeah, or things that you want to ask, and then if you ask them, and then and give two second answers, I assume that you can always end it early, or do you have to stick? five minutes on the nose you can you can always end it early but but don't you know absolutely don't you know make that make use of that if you've got five minutes and someone's giving you two second answers you get as many of those two second answers as you can in that five minute time they'll there'll be somebody there there'll be somebody there in the room with you representing wwe when we like anthony's done interviews uh face to face with like pete dunn for example there's always somebody there with you watching you right and they'll keep you at a time because they've got a schedule so they'll be saying can we have the last question now please uh you know uh, can we just you know can we just get we've just got time for one more so you'll always get that yeah so, yeah that, that's my that would be my main concern because obviously i know i know i obviously don't mind sticking to a time but i do but i do probably know to, i'm i'm not looking at sticking to a certain time limit so so somebody could tell me okay Okay, mate, you need to wrap it up. Wrap it up now. I can do that, no problem. That would be my main concern, to be honest. But as you said, somebody will be in the room represent, representing somebody from WWE or, or whoever to keep, me on, to keep me on time. Yeah, yeah, somebody will keep you on time and they'll be really nice about it. On Zoom calls, for example, so they usually have... So these days, they do, they do it on Zoom. Uh, well, right now, anyway. Uh, and there's always somebody else there. There's always somebody else there. It might just be you two with me and uh, with me and uh, the NXT UK stuff that we've done. 
it's always just the two of us. It's always a one-on-one interview. Uh, so, I'll, you know, like I've interviewed Isla Dawn, other people like that from NXT UK. But there's, there's, it's the one-on-one interview, but you've always got somebody there watching to make sure you don't talk about AEW or to make sure you don't talk about this and that, right? But so don't worry about, don't worry about stuff like, man, man, they've asked you to do an interview. If, if you end up working with, you know, whatever company, right? They believe in you. They believe in you. That's why you're allowed to be there. That's why you're there is because they believe in you. So don't worry about keeping to time. Don't worry about that stuff. They'll keep you to time, right? Like, just ask the questions you want to ask. Uh, you know, do an interview that you're, you, you can be proud of. And then, and then, you know, I mean, if, if you want a tip, like if it, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure that's you. I don't think you need any tips from me at all. But like, I would say like what I tend to do to sort of let everybody know, but you've just done it. You do it to me. You've been doing it to me. So like what I do to let everybody in the room know that I'm finishing up is I go, oh, just a couple more questions now. Right. So they know that I've only got two left or I've only got one left. You know what I mean? So like, and you've been doing that. Right. So, I mean, it's all right in this context because it's me and you talking in a WWE context. You let them know it's two more questions and you ask two more questions and then you finish. You know what I mean? But just have, have fun, have fun with it. And that's the key. Have fun with it. Like don't, don't like there's so many people that are on those media calls that are like, they're asking set questions and maybe they've been told to ask. Right. And they, you know, that's it. Right. And they they just, but, but, but like, I, I, I'm lucky that I built a platform in Soundsphere right and other you know the other things that people like that have, have landed me there has landed me next to sean ross sap or next to you know al mcgeorge from the metro these people that i respect right so i can ask the questions i want to ask right because that's what i'm there for and if you did the same thing they would they would believe it they they would you would be there for a reason you would be there for a reason so they would want you to ask questions that you care about and, and fundamentally want you to ask questions that they that wrestlers want to answer in a, in a day of media calls man and a million times asking oh so you know uh, so okay we'll use Charlotte Flair because that's the most obvious you know that's one we've used a lot you know uh, like oh you know how is things with Andrade in a day for those questions right there's a whole day of those questions in a day of oh uh, how's your dad doing What's it like, you know, what's it like being Charlotte Flair's daughter? Because you, oh, sorry, Rick Flair's daughter. Because you, <laughs> you better believe, you better believe those questions get asked. If you said, if you said, Charlotte, I'm just curious to know, you know, what's it like, what was it like growing up with dad who wasn't always around? I'm not trying to say that was, you know, that was bad, but it must have been quite difficult, which is a variation of the question that you, that you suggested earlier, right? That's going to make Charlotte Flair think a little more. That's going to make her give more of a fuck about your question. She's got to think about that. She's got to go, ah, this person genuinely wants to know about my background. They've genuinely, they've, they've, they've listened to other interviews and no one's asked me that question, you know, but, 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 but Anthony has, Anthony's thought about his question. And so I'm going to give him a thoughtful answer that, and and you already know how to do that. And that's the thing you already know how to do that because you've already, you've just been doing it with me. You know, and that, that's what I think I, I, I want you to remember if you come away from, from this is that people, you know, I'm here because I care about what you do and, I, and I'm, I'm honoured. I'm honoured to be here. I, I'm, it's a privilege for me to be on your channel, right? So I want to I give you honest answers, right? You know, there, there's so many other interviews you've done 
right? Where people, they want to give you their time. Otherwise they wouldn't come on. So just remember your value. Remember, you're not trying to be Chris Van Vliet, right? Chris is great. We talk about inspiring. You know, we've talked about Chris Van Vliet being an inspiration and stuff. But honestly, mate, you know, and it's not about you. It's not about difference. It's not about disability. It's about the fact that you ask questions that you care about. And, in, and that makes other people, you ask, you ask questions that you care about and you care about the answers. You care about what people want. You know, you care about your, your audience and you care about your interviewee. You know, and that that's I mean, I'll stop talking now, but that that's what I think, you know, don't worry so much about keeping on time. Don't worry so much about that because because you, you'll be there. You'll be in these situations for a reason. People will have watched you. People will have seen you before. They don't just ask anybody to be a part of this stuff. You know, people, people, you, you deserve you deserve to have your questions heard. You know, it doesn't matter if it takes you a while to because to, I have speech problems as well. I struggle with my speech sometimes especially when I'm nervous, you know, it, it happens. You just got to roll with it, man. You know, you, and you've got a lot of talent. You've got a lot of talent. And I, and I look forward to seeing where, where you go from here, man. Thank you, man. Do you think, do you think once the pandemic is, I don't want to say over, but once everything goes relatively back to normal, do you think, do you think video interviews are going to be dead? Because, what? because for, for me, yeah, it's going to be really difficult to fly over to the States. Yeah, no. Video interviews, so, so what they'll do, video interviews will always be a thing, especially for America, especially for wrestlers based in America. WWE has UK stuff, and they might ask. So they might ask me or something to go down yeah. to, one, to one of the UK events or something like that, and I'll go if they ask me to do that, right? But as you, as, you know, and this is where we're similar, I don't do well if I'm out outside too long on my sticks. I get tired and I start feeling, you know, pain, etc. So like video interviews, I love video interviews and they'll always be a thing. There will always be a thing. Video interviews will always be a thing. Uh, telephone things might start being a thing as well because a lot of the interviews I've done uh, with people have been on telephone as well. But, but people, excuse me, people will work around you. It's what, I mean, once you get to know these people, man, People will work around you. People will, you know, wrestlers, uh, management, people will work around you. If they want to work with you, they'll work around you. Do you know what I mean? And I would imagine once you get to a certain level of, it's not right, it's not right, when you get to a certain, when you get to a certain level of noticeable interviews, yeah. I I would assume I would assume people know your work and they they want they want to be interviewed by you. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. But you you're already getting there now. Like you're already doing it. You know, people know people are starting to get to know you on 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 social media, etc. And you have a you have a real USP. You know, you have a USP with your stuff because you're talking about you're not just talking about wrestling. You're talking about CP. You're talking about you know, you're talking to, to, to loads of different types of people. You know, you, you're not just a, a wrestling channel and that makes you different. You know, you might talk about wrestling a bit, but, you know, you have a really, you know, the unique selling point, the USP, right? That, you know, it's different and people want to, you know, and, and, and fundamentally your subscriber count, like that's more than a lot of channels with, with interviews and stuff on. Like people obviously care. People obviously invest in you. 
you know, and that is what people fundamentally WWE want numbers. WWE, Impact Wrestling, all those companies, they want numbers. They want people to, to tell them, expand their brand, right? You are, you are like, this is just an example. I'm talking about every company, any company in any industry, they want numbers, right? And you have numbers. So, so you know what I mean? Like you've got, you've got so much potential and opportunity to expand what you do. And you're a good interviewer. And yeah, yeah, okay. Just like me, sometimes we have to watch time because sometimes you only have 10 minutes and five minutes, but I'm also bad at timekeeping, you know? Like, it doesn't mean it's not a bad thing. It just means you've got loads of questions. Um, but uh, like, do I go on? Sorry, I'm going to do the outro, but you're going to say something while you're closing. Can I say what you were going to say? Go for it, man. No, were you going to say something? Oh, sorry, no, I was just going to say, uh, you've got all the potential in the world, man, all the potential in the world, but your channel's already there. It's already building up steam. You know, the, the WWE and all these companies, whatever industry, they want numbers. They want they want people to know, they want to know people are going to watch them, these interviews that you do. And clearly people watch the stuff you do. And there's your, so there's your evidence. It's all... You know, like I said to you before, and this is probably my final point, like, you know, it's all well and good someone like me coming on or someone like Ross, you know, from Cultaholic or whoever else coming on and saying, oh, you know, yeah, it's great to be here and, and you know, all this stuff. And it is, it's fantastic to be sat on your podcast, right? But at the end of the, at the, end of the day, the quality, the quality is there, evidence. We can say, oh, Anthony's podcast is great. Oh, Anthony's a lovely interviewer. Anthony's a real nice dude. But the evidence is there because you can see it in your numbers. Do you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not, I, you know, I'm just a guy, but your evidence is there. Yeah. People want, A, people watch it, and B, people want to continue watching. And that, that you can't, you can't, again, we'll, we'll come back, we'll use that saying. You can't teach that, man. You can't teach that. Yeah. What is the saying? Num numbers don't lie, and that is true. Numbers don't lie, hundred percent. Absolutely, that's exactly what we're talking about. So, so thank you, thank you for what you ladies and gentlemen. If you're going to follow, give me a oh yeah. Got it. Yeah, you go. Got but, it. I'm not going to lie, but if I if I remember, I'll put the link. But if I don't. My bad. Don't worry, man. Don't worry. I'll put the link in. I'll put the link in the comments or something. It's all right. Don't worry. You're all good. Okay. Uh, thank you for watching. Please like, comment. Please like, comment, and subscribe. And have a good day. Thank you, guys. And you guys have a good day. And thanks for watching. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Cool.